Hey, Real Talk listeners, welcome back. And we are going to continue on. We've been talking a little bit throughout this series this month. Um, Michelle and I have been talking about uh, masculine toxicity, feminine toxicity. And now we're just going to kind of pivot a little bit and change up the rest of this series. Uh, The next three episodes are really going to be focused on leadership. And it's interesting um, discussion because this has been a common, I guess, a common article or common topic that we've been seeing. So I think it's really important for us to like highlight this and really focus on this with our listeners, because I think if you are a leader in an organization or an executive in an organization, it's really important for you to hone in on this. And I'm going to keep you guessing and guessing. And then if you're in HR, how do you get leaders to really move this way? Or if you're an executive leader in HR, how do you continue driving momentum with this? And if you are an individual contributor or just a leader in the organization, maybe not an executive leader, how do you participate in engaging in this? So Michelle, we have literally been reading these articles across the board on LinkedIn. There's been topics, there's been comments, um, different scenarios that have played out from a leadership perspective in organizations. And it's interesting how this came about. So Michelle, why? Let's just talk about how important leaders are in an organization, especially executive leaders. So one of the things that I feel like we don't always talk about or embrace is the reality of ratios between employees and the people that support them, right? And when you look at HR, HR is a support department. And by support department, it can mean lots of things, but a few of those things mean that our function supports the group of people that are responsible for getting the mass of work done. Often support roles don't directly drive top-line revenue. They might find ways to save money, to help you save money, but usually don't make money for the organization. But also, in addition to that, going back to the ratio, is that if you were to talk about your employee to your HR ratio, I mean, in many companies, you're talking about hundreds to one. And because the world is so globally diverse at this point, because workforces are in multiple locations, it's not like the early industrial age where all of the employees worked at this particular plant over a course of shifts over a series of seven days, right? And so everybody in the town could be found in that one location, plant a couple of support people in that role, and they've got immediate access, or at least theoretically, have immediate access to multiple or all of your employees, not multiple, all of them. Well, now you figure um, diversification of the workforce, opening in multiple locations, businesses looking at the impact of where. They open a business, states providing resources. And now what you have is that one HR resource 
the three to 500 people they support dispersed amongst half the country in some cases, um, if not more. And chances are really good. They are never going to see the people they support because ultimately, if that's the way you're using your HR department, you're using them wrong. But going back to your question, Maria, is leadership. Every organization that I've ever worked with, whether through real talent or when I was still working in the corporate workforce, every organization where frontline leaders struggled with people ownership responsibilities, executive leaders did not make it a priority. People do. I think I've given this example before. We used to teach leadership training with FedEx. And we would always, when we talked about servant leadership, we would talk about how it is about you know, removing obstacles and helping people get to the next place. But really, if you read all of servant leadership, the concept is about helping people be better. And so we would stand up in the front of the room and we would hold our hand at like our, our shoulder height. And we would say, people will meet the bar. And then we would lower our hand to like our knees. And then we would say, regardless of where you put the bar, right? So when you have executive leaders who do not believe their responsibility is people strategy and people practices, then what you're going to end up with is a group of followers who meet that bar way down there at your ankles. And so now what happens is you try to shift all of those HR responsibilities or those people responsibilities onto the subject matter experts, which is your HR department. And once again, you're divvying up that ratio hundreds to one and actually expecting that person to be able to support those people. That's why senior leaders have to make a difference or have to be involved because ultimately people will listen to the person they report to. Yeah, so that's a good point. I'm going to have you pause right there, Michelle. So this came about because I feel like, well, all right, we've had all these articles, all these different types of you know, kind of uh, discussions. And interestingly enough, somehow I've been bringing this up to you throughout uh, the last, I don't know, four to six weeks. I didn't even realize that, you know, this, this most recent article I talked to you about, that I've actually brought it up to you in the past, right? And it, it continues to be a driving factor. And it actually came up, I'm looking, Michelle, we talked about this back in uh, like six weeks ago, I would say. And it was it came up because of Simon Sinek. So for those of you listening, I'm going to play this back and then I'm going to read the article I just or the comment I just sent to Michelle that was rolling through on LinkedIn. And then we're going to talk about this and how really about the, the entire concept and why. Right. And continue driving this. So here is what Simon Sinek mentioned. Leadership is not a rank to be achieved. Leadership is a responsibility, and it's a responsibility to see those around us rise. There's no CEO on the planet who's responsible for the results. You're responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the results. That's a difficult and different skill set. 
That is a different and difficult skill set. And then there was a comment today that said, good HR leadership is getting executives to co-own the difficult people, leadership stuff that they want to delegate to other HR leaders, right? So when you talk about executives and leaders, like you mentioned, Michelle, it's top down. It's about who you report to and as well, right? But it goes all the way up the chain and then comes all the way back down. That's why we always say it's really important to have top down leadership bought in because we can only do so much from an HR perspective. For sure. And I think when you step back of it at this and guys, we try to take these different perspectives because we know that to Maria's point earlier, our listeners are entrepreneurs, business owners, they are individual leaders, and they're also individual contributors, right? And so we try to step back and look at all of those aspects when it comes to this podcast in particular. And I'm going to step back for a minute and I'm going to start as a business owner and talk reality, okay? When I hire people, when Maria and I hire people at Real Talent, we hire them with an expectation that they will achieve something fairly specific. Even if we don't know the details of it, we at least know the general idea of what they have to accomplish, right? So maybe it is launching a new training program or creating content. And we're not, we might not get in all the details of how they're going to write it, but we know that there's a basic idea that we need them to do this job. So as the leaders of that person or people, we're the ones that interact with them every day. We're the ones that communicate with them. We're the ones that roll out messages. We're the ones that make sure they understand company policies and protocols. We're the ones that step in when they're doing a great job or step in when they're off track. We are the ones as their leader communicating with them every single day. So here's a hard thing about leadership. Simon Simon mentioned, what was the word that he used? It's a difficult, what did he say? Difficult and... Um, that is a difficult and different skill set. Right. And another thing from a leadership perspective that is different and difficult. And let's clear up the idea of complicated and difficult. Okay. Complicated or simple. When we use the terms complicated or simple, what we're really thinking about is complicated means there's a lot of steps, there's a lot of nuances, there are 97 sequential activities that you have to take to get it right, right? That's not what we're talking about with these leadership skills. They're not complex. They're actually pretty easy to wrap your head around. They're just not what you're used to doing. And that makes them difficult because you have to shift your entire thought process. And the one that I'm talking about right now is the idea that your job is to talk to that person, encourage that person, reward that person, or coach that person in a way that they need coaching. So that's the first aspect that that is critical here to understand when it comes to leaders being in charge of their people. It's not that you're in charge of writing a schedule. 
that's easy shit. Actually, that's complex shit that's easy to do. So it's the exact opposite of what we're talking about with these leadership skills, where it's a simple concept, but it's hard to do because it's so different for you, right? But that's the point of all of this. People will do based on what you are doing as their leader. People will react and accomplish goals based on you, their leader. So if you, their leader, refuses to step in with a people-related problem, by the way, guys, I'm not really sure if we've said this very clearly yet, but you don't work with robots, right? You work with people with emotions and feelings and real lives and shit that's happening inside and outside of work, right? And if you, because that is uncomfortable for you as a leader, refuse to engage in those activities, then you have basically given away your authority to drive their actions. Because you drive their actions. So if I go hands off, let HR handle this, then that's what's going to happen, that people are going to stop listening to you. Now, we're going to talk as we go through the series, not just about senior leaders and executives and why it has to start top, top, top down, like you mentioned. But we're also going to talk about the implications at the front line or the bottom where people are doing the work. Um, and you can see it in really subtle situations or in really blatant situations. And in all of them, they will impact your ability to get stuff done. I worked with an organization once where their employees came to HR when they had to go home earlier, come in late. And it was big enough that HR could not effectively communicate with 12 different supervisors that one of 600 employees would or would not be at work. So what does that mean for the supervisor who just lost their employee? First of all, they're probably screaming about firing them because where the heck are they? Because they don't know what's happening. But second, your shift is now not being covered. Whether that's retail, it means it's going to impact your customers. Manufacturing, it's going to impact your product. Restaurant industry, it's going to impact your customers or the line in your the turn time for your food, your table time, all those things. But that organization had a structure set up where HR were the only people that dealt with people problems. And in their mind, an employee being sick and going home was a people problem. So it will trickle down all the way to the bottom. But Maria, let's go back to that top level. Where have you seen it done really well? I have seen, and you know, I guess it depends. There's pockets, right? I've seen some really great leaders when you talk about the top level when and, and leaders coming down, you know, from large organizations that have invested in their development of leaders. So you can see very clearly when there's large organizations that put the time and effort and financial responsibility into their learning and development department for their executives, I've seen it done really well. I've also seen it done really well in smaller organizations, really early stage startups that really want to focus and hone in on culture. 
And I think for them, you know, being able to, you know, create uh, a strong culture and be able to obviously develop their leaders and owning the coaching and the responsibilities and making sure every person is guided every step of the way. I've seen it done well, but then you also get those executives who don't want to, it becomes almost like a micromanagement situation. Once they start getting bigger, they want to be involved in every one of those aspects. And then you're like, well, you're the CEO at this point, you're not going to be able to meet and greet and develop, you know, every new hire that comes in with a thousand plus organization, right? It gets a little bit more challenging. So it's interesting And in those cases, a lot of startups that really hone in and do it well, and then they immediately, when when they can invest in a strong HR person, it can help them really successfully continue that momentum on driving the culture. For sure. And like you said, and even going back to what Simon said about you lead the people who lead the people who lead the people (laughs) who lead the people that deliver the results, right? And that's where as a senior leader, you have to do, you have to serve multiple roles. Um, I actually want to step back for a second because I've worked with an organization in the past who did some training for multi-unit managers or leaders of leaders of leaders, if you will, right? And we were testing one of their training programs. And as part of the training program, they were comparing the skills needed to be a CEO and the skills needed to be a CEO. Wait, a COO and a CEO. I don't know if I said it right, but you guys got it. And during that conversation, they had mentioned a COO can't be a CEO. And I paused because that, and it was actually one of the reasons that I disagreed with their content is because they approached it from a perspective of you have the skills to be tactical or you have the skills to be visionary. Um, And I believe what I've found in my career is even if something is innate to you and you do it naturally from the minute you're born, we all say things like learn or grow or get better. And the minute you include any of those words, It's no longer something you're born with. It's something you learn. So you might have had some innate preferences around certain ways of behavior, but as you practice them, you get better at doing them, right? And so we would change that content every time we had to deliver it. But what we did agree with and what we needed people to know is that executives play different roles but they have all got to be visionary. And so to say that the CEO is the only person in your company that needs to be visionary, in fact, if we're talking operations, you're setting yourself up for failure because in most organizations, operations will have the most layers. And so imagine your chief operating officer being the one at the top trying to lead the person that leads the person that leads the person that leads the person that leads the person. And there's a whole lot more people between them and the one driving those profits, right? And what you have to know as a COO is that the person under you is so flipping aligned 
with that vision and that direction that they are your second voice. They can put it in their own words, but when their teams listen to them, they should feel like they're hearing a repetition of the CEO's or the COO's message. And what we find over and over again is that that senior leader or that executive isn't able to create vision, a shared vision, isn't able to articulate the expectations in a way that others can follow the message. They don't talk about the whys. In fact, probably one of the most literal examples of how top-down leadership fails was it was during a recession or a loss in revenue for the organization and they needed to save some money. And at the top level, they decided they were not going to let anyone go. They decided that if they were to simply cut everyone in the company's hours by four, that people would fill it because four hours is four hours, right? But it would be detrimental to their well-being and everyone would stay employed. Honestly, great move on their part, right? COO rolls it down and the person below them goes, if we miss this payroll number, I'm going to get fired. And then they suddenly decide instead of, actually, I think it started by two hours. Everybody had to lose two hours. And at that next level, they're like, let's make it four just to cover our basis. And then it went down another level and four became six. And it went down another level and six became eight. And that top level had no idea until somebody was brave enough to mention it in a meeting. And and basically that frontline leader said, (laughs) we just cut 20% of their income and wonder why they're all trying to find other jobs. And the COO in the front of the room paused and said, what the hell are you talking about? And he goes, we just cut eight hours off of everyone's schedule and you wonder why they're frustrated. Eight hours is literally 20% of their income. So now they have to make a choice. Do they buy gas or they buy food? Do they pay the water bill or the power bill? Especially in the industry we were talking about where minimum wage is not much higher than minimum wage. And you could see the distress on her face when she heard that. And without thinking, she said, we cut two hours. And everyone in the room at that point was now brave enough to say, no, we were directed to cut eight hours. So that, in that particular case I'm talking about, that executive team, they were all about the hard people choices. I've been in situations where I've had to make decisions like, do we reorg and fire people because we can't afford them? Do we cut hours? Do we save money on supplies? I've had to make those hard decisions before. It's not a fun people issue to tackle. But this executive team dealt with it crunched the numbers in a room, came up with what was 
not ideal for anyone, honestly, but best for everyone. And yet because of the inability to communicate a message down, 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 and down one more level, what they saw was an increase in employee, um, negative employee feedback, an increase in turnover, and an increase in poor customer service because people were just stressed out and frustrated. And so they didn't give what they gave in the past. That's why it matters, not only that it starts at the top, but that you understand that your job is to communicate a message with the whys so clearly that six layers down, people know what the heck you made that choice for. Okay, I'm done off my soapbox. Michelle, you bring up a good point. I think with leaders, the communication must be really strong. I think where, you know, that falls apart is exactly the example that you utilize, which is a game of telephone. And, you know, we've had, you know, during the pandemic organizations who had to determine a partial cut in hours and thought that was the best choice rather than laying off a significant amount of people. And, That communication was very strategically planned, it was coordinated, and it was very well thought out from top-down leadership to where individuals at the bottom had no doubt and no question that things were aligned and why things were done, as well as why it was impacting them for how long potentially that it would be for, as well as it was very thorough. Um, And I think from the executive's perspective, being a participant in that was also important. And, you know, you take a look, if you're going to cut two hours, you know, of compensation off of your individuals, you know, there have been some really successful executives that also cut that percentage of compensation from themselves uh, and conducted an investment back into the company, right? And you see that all around as well. I think if you are asking the organization to take a cut, it doesn't hurt as well for you to also take a look at where that those cuts can be within yourself or your department as well. And then the opposite of that, you know, I've seen even like your example, and it's always how it's communicated. I've seen people who were furloughed. Um, we work a lot in the restaurant industry. And as you guys know, Um, The restaurant industry still hasn't recovered from trying to shift the dynamic of what they do to an environment where people are afraid to come sit in a restaurant and have a meal, right? And so I've seen the opposite of that, where because of a lack of communication, people were furloughed under the impression that they would get their job back because that was what they were, that, that was what was implied and the message that they received. And yet nothing really got significantly better in those restaurants. And so furloughed became laid off and now unemployed. And now in many states, no more states, well, in many states with really bad people policies like South Carolina and Texas and Oklahoma, to name a few, they were now out of unemployment options and they were just unemployed, right? And all of that became 
a lack of messaging because truthfully from, so again, making tough choices from an HR strategist perspective, the right choice was to think furlough first because we didn't know how long this was going to last. So let's think about how we cut some hours. Let We're going to bring you back. That's our goal, right? But with zero communication between you are furloughed to, oh crap, you are fired. What it feels like is that no one in leadership was involved in that decision. Now, the other thing that we, um, you and I talk about a lot from a top-down approach, it has to be driven top-down to give people the autonomy to be involved. In multiple companies that I've worked with, there have been, you use the phrase pockets. I'm going to use that that phrase as well. There have been pockets where leaders are amazing uh, and they would actually prefer to learn people practices to make sure that they're aligned with what people laws are in the state that they reside. They take the time to get to know their employees as individuals and they treat them as individuals being involved in that process. But I've seen those exact leaders torn apart in meetings for being too sympathetic, particularly when you're talking about operators. There's this belief or this stigma that the minute you start talking about how will your employees feel or how will they react, that you suddenly can't make the hard decisions. Dude, I will make hard decisions all day long. I will go home and probably cry about it with my family because I hate knowing that someone else's life is impacted by a choice that I make, but I will make them, right? But what these leaders are trying to do is start with that final in mind. My goal as a leader is to ensure that my teams are taken care of. So let's talk about how your request to save $200,000 a month could impact my department, my customers, and my teams, right? But they get pushed aside because they're being dramatic or sensitive. So if the senior leader in that room isn't willing to get their back, exactly what happens is they shut up, they find a place to work where their beliefs and their values can be treated um, the way they want them to be treated and they leave, right? So another reason this has got to be driven by the people at the top. When someone speaks up and says, let's talk about how people are going to react to this, senior leaders should say, yes, let's do. I'm not saying you alter your business decisions just because someone is going to be hurt because no one is happy always. Sorry, guys, they aren't. But it does mean you stop and you talk about it and you come up with the best idea. I think you bring up a good point. I think it's important to also be thoughtful because I think the one thing is you're driving business uh, that sometimes you're moving uh, really fast with. You forget to think that your employees are people and humans and everything impacts them. 
And it's interesting when you talk about like layoffs and things like that, because most recently, the CEO of Better let go of 900 employees all on a Zoom call and then got laid off or like, you know, took a hiatus for about a month or two. And then he just recently, last week, let go of 3,000 employees in the company. And he, they found out through a severance payment in their bank accounts and they were shut off immediately. Like at some point, involving executive leaders really also means putting together a very thoughtful communication plan. Like, like you said, not everybody's going to be happy about what's going to need to be done to motivate and move the business. I think in some examples, there are better ways to do what you need to get accomplished that still might not make people happy, but still treating them human. So guys, you're probably wondering if the leaders are doing all this, what the heck is HR doing? Well, to Maria's point about it being smart, that's the role a good HR department should be playing. They come in as the expert around, yes, legalities, um, around people practices and labor practices, but they also come in from a perspective of how people are motivated and how to best communicate. And they look at things and they help you find those holes in those communication patterns. Um, They identify that things like you have positively impacted 80% of the organization by doing this, but there are still 20% that are going to be frustrated. So how do we communicate this message in a way that that 20% understands why they aren't getting some massive hike in pay when someone else is? You know, how do we do that in a way that's legal without disclosing everybody's salaries? How do we do that in a way that'll be responsive where people will come to leadership to ask questions instead of gossiping and talking crap at the water cooler. Those are the things that a great HR strategist brings to the conversation to help you iron them out and then helps you to prepare your leaders from top down. The reality is in a perfect world in my mind, your HR team would not be the people on a stage ever communicating specific changes or messages, positive or negative, to the organization. I remember being asked by a group once when we were helping them design a town hall for their organization where they did work in a place where they could bring everybody together at one time. And I remember during the conversation, and it didn't occur to me to address this because it was never even a thought. Someone said, well, why does HR get to present the prizes? And I was like, you don't see my name next to that. The rewards will be presented by the COO of the organization or the senior leader for that department. Since we were focusing on giving some operations awards. In this particular case, the highest leader was the COO. Um, And so the COO was delivering that message in my mind, but in their mind, HR got to do all the fun stuff. 
And so how did they get to be a part of the fun guys? And that's where, again, you're relying on HR to be the people people where we're suggesting that you be the people people. And if you step up to be the people people, it's not always about the tough decisions. You get to be there for the good ones too. You get to be there when the rewards are given out to praise an employee, when promotions are given out, when people get extra training and development to grow within the organization. That gets to be a message from your mouth, not from HRs. So you know, we're not suggesting you take the beef of all the hard stuff. We're saying you as the leader take the message to your people. I agree. Well, uh, Michelle, any additional closing remarks here that we need to focus on before we continue through this journey for individuals who are talking about really the concept? You know what? Here's what I would like to end with. Guys, start by making a list of the things that you struggle with um, and the things that you do well. And what you're going to find, because it is human nature, you are no exception to this rule, is that even as you are promoted through an organization, you tend to fall back on the things that you were successful doing, probably in previous roles, right? Which means you're not learning to stretch yourself to be that leader who is responsible for the people who are responsible for the people who are responsible for the people. So make a list of where you still struggle because your message has got to be inspiring enough that it is heard three levels down. I think that's important. So we will continue giving you more content, whether that be from TikTok or from books and how we integrate it into some of these discussions from these LinkedIn articles. So Stay tuned, listen further. Until next time, take care, everyone. Bye.